if you liked sports talk with absolutely <laughs> no sports talk, well then welcome back to the final and soon to be past tense episode of Just Not Sports. This was the show where a couple guys who work in sports talked talked to the people who played and cover sports about anything they like that's just not sports. I am your co-host, Brad Burke. I am a sports marketer in Chicago. And yes, this is the end. Somewhere cue up that Doors CD that Gareth said he played. <laughs> you know, this is the end. Ad so nauseum. Much, no, I guess it was Riders on the Storm so much that you, you broke the CD. But uh, this is the final installment of our show after five and a half years, after nearly 200 episodes, after multiple video projects, endless annoying tweets, and uh, and, and more than 200 guests. Uh, and, and we're going to have some fun today, and we're going to go out in a way that only uh, Gareth and I uh, could by uh, talking to one of our favorite sports people of all time and by doing a completely shameless and self-serving mixtape project, <laughs> uh, which has kind of been our jam in the last year or so. So joining that, me, it, Brad, it was either that or one more Stephen King book. And so <laughs> and my mom congratulations, everyone. We went, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, we went with the mix. The voice you hear belongs to seven-time Emmy-winning sports producer and, what, 35-time Emmy-losing sports producer Gareth Hughes. In Sounds our, about right. In our Brooklyn bureau, Gareth, I want to I wanna say, top of your head, so this is, I think, we're in like the one high 170s, high 180s in terms of overall episodes. How many do you think we taped in person together, you and me? I don't know. I mean, like only like five or ten, like in in the same room. Yeah, like I know we taped a couple at the Clio's. I know you and I taped with Judy. One Batista, in Chicago. One in Chicago. Yep. A couple um, like late night hotel rooms in New York when you were out here for like a conference or oh, something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. We saw. What we, remember we were gonna tape we that one night, it. and we were like, "Let's go see it instead." Screw this. <laughs> we got. We and then I, but then I came back the next day, and we did. Uh, Hall and Oates. We did Doug Glanville, so, and did we? Oh have, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had Oates on, right? Or are we in a Hall? Yes. Do do it. Do I remember who, which what we had on? Uh, Hall and or Oates. <laughs> uh, yes, exactly. So um, yeah, I can't I can't believe we made it this long. And look, our guest today, Gareth. Well, he, Brad, we're ending with like as I like as all podcasts become a reflection of their host basically over too long, like ending this with Eric Davis as the penultimate episode talking about cancer. And then I think it's only fair, Brad, that you get the final interview. Okay. That's fine. Uh, considering you booked 99% of them. Uh, <laughs> I used to have a spreadsheet. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, considering you booked 99% of them, uh, it ending on Marvin Lewis is pretty remarkable and i couldn't be happier that this is the way we're going out so congratulations me neither man uh so here why marvin lewis simply i'm put, sorry that I, I i i spilled that so did, but yeah yeah you know what i had to learn we had to learn podcasting as we went over five and a half years because like neither one of us were i mean you work at sports but we're not broadcasters um there's a title on the show. It's like people know Marvin's on the show. Fair <laughs> like, enough. Fair enough. Um, I have to remind myself quite a bit of that. But look, 
Why Marvin Lewis? Simply put, I have never rooted for someone in sports as hard as Marvin Lewis. To the point where when he and the Bengals parted ways, I was like, I'm just ready to have Marvin get a lifetime contract, like the Bill Self contract. Like, I'm fine with Marvin Lewis. He, you know, we grew up in southwestern Ohio. The Bengals have sort of become my number one team over the years. And he, like, we grew up with Marvin as our coach. Like, even as I became cynical working in sports, um, you know, less tied to the notion of fandom in the traditional way, I still rooted for the Bengals, and I still rooted uh, for Marvin Lewis. I mean, he he turned the franchise from complete laughingstock into contender. Uh, I was at that, like, infamous playoff game against Pittsburgh where, with a backup mm-hmm. quarterback. Um, you know, he gets the lead in the final seconds, you know. like th- That whole run of the, you know, the Carson and Chad and TJ era was so exciting and up and down, and then, like, the sort of slow build between 2011 and 2015, you know, that's when I was, like, making enough money to get DirecTV and watching the Bengals every week. And it was just like, we got to go out with Marvin Lewis because, like, I'm a big Marvin stan, and... But you're still, every offseason, you still, like, whenever there's a question, like, should the Bengals consider a coaching change, you're first in line to be like, has anyone thought about Marvin? Anyone? <laughs> I mean, he literally, people give him shit that they didn't win the playoffs, but, like, dude, look at the what happened when he left. Look what happened when they started. Like, the team has been the laughingstock of the NFL forever, and just he brought a level of, competence and professionalism and seven playoff appearances and multiple division titles. Like it's not mm-hmm. his fault that like, uh, you know, that, that they went into the game against the Colts in the playoffs that one year with no receivers. <laughs> like it's not his fault that right, right, Andy right. Dalton or broke that, his thumb. Or that Andy, Andy Dalton breaks his thumb. Like exactly. Like injuries happen. So yeah. I mean, so here's the deal. Why Marvin Lewis? Because I have so many sports Bengals questions to ask Marvin Lewis, and I did nothing of the sort. This show only <laughs> existed because we would work with athletes and coaches and sports media, and we would get alone with them doing work, and they would not want to talk about their work. They would want to talk about whatever's on their mind. And so yep. we said, that's how we're going out. Coach Lewis, we yep. you know, thank you to, you know, he, he these days is a, sort of special consultant to the Arizona State football program, and Herm Edwards is there. And so I reached out to Arizona State, and they very graciously were like, cool, like, we'll we'll set up the time. And I said, what does Coach want to talk about? And they said, he likes golf. So I'm going to talk to Marvin Lewis for about 15, 20 minutes about golf. There you go. <laughs> and we talk about him playing with – you know, Kevin McHale and, and what's it like to gamble with people who have NBA salary money? Um, you know, <laughs> Well, he's also in Arizona. Like, think how many people have retired to Arizona just to play golf. Yeah, and, and like, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, he used to do, uh, you know, pro-ams and tournaments. Like, what's his favorite, uh, you know, what's his all-time kind of, like, best shot that he ever, you know, made uh, in, in a competitive setting? We talk about, you know, what whether golf was – uh, you know, fueled his competitive itch uh, or scratched his competitive itch or 
uh, whether it was more meditative and, and helping him break free from the grind of sports. And, and mostly, Gareth, it was just kind of fun to to catch up with someone who we had a personal kind of fandom for, have a, mm-hmm. a just a good conversation that kind of showed off, uh, you know, his personality and and we're going to call it a career after that. So it was a, Hell yeah. a a great way to to sign us off. And look, stick around after the interview. It wouldn't be just not sports unless we came back with a completely self-indulgent project. Gareth and I are going to reveal our all-time farewell slash goodbye mixtape. How would you say goodbye to something or someone via mixtape? And Gareth, I'm excited. <laughs> And I might have blown this assignment, and I love doing it. So <laughs> perfect. Brad, that, that's also this, on brand. Hold on. I was gonna say, <laughs> consider this my last weasel. <laughs> All right, right now let's get to Coach Lewis, one of our all-time faves. Thank you so much to him for making the time. And then afterwards, stick around. We'll be back to distract you. Look, I played growing up uh, and a little bit competitively in high school, if you can call high school golf competitive at the level that I, I played it. Um, and I want to know, if we were playing a scramble, what's the most useful shot that uh, Marvin Lewis is bringing to my team? Are you a, a long off the tee guy? Are you a short game accuracy? Like, where's your strong suit? Uh, <laughs> I would hope hitting the green. That would That's what I would think, the, the approach shot, the second shot. Uh, trying to hit the green in regulation. Are you one of those folks that like, I've always felt like there's a real line between the people who can aim their long irons, you know, like who can hit an approach and really put it on the green where they want versus someone like myself who was like, just get on the green, you know, in general. And that's good enough for me. (laughs) Yeah. You know what? It's, uh, uh, it's, you know, my, my approach, it's funny how you change as you go along in golf. And now I actually do, depending on now a long iron, obviously you're just with, with my skill level, you're still trying to uh, get on the green in proximity to the hole, but, and you want to try to uh, kind of uh, regulate your miss, you know what right. I mean? <laughs> but I think with a shorter iron now, it is kind of funny now with wedges and things that, that I try to draw the ball or hit the ball to a certain area. At least I try not that I'm, you know, 70% successful yet, but uh, at least I try to do that. When did you start playing? When did you pick pick it up? Really very late, not until uh, probably uh, uh, 1981, 82, uh, when I my first years in coaching in Idaho State. And uh, the coaches that I was with, there were coaches that I had formerly played for, uh, would take me, uh, you know, we would go golfing to these fabulous places, uh, in the bottom of the Snake River Canyon and just these beautiful places like that. And I would spend more time having fun fishing golf balls off the streams and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, how, how would you, I mean, I, I've talked to a number of sports figures over the years who, I, I, you know, a, a lot of them kind of, they're either in two camps when it comes to golf. One is it's a chance to sort of turn off the hyper competitive side of your brain and just get away, relax. It's a quiet place. The other is no, you can never quite turn off the competitive side of your brain. And it's another way to channel that energy productively. Where, where would you fall on that spectrum? How competitive are you once you step onto the course? Well, I think it was, it's been a, you know, somewhat 
of a release thing it was for me when I was a head coach and, and, and so forth. It was fun, you know, and, and then once you become a head coach, you know, you don't seem to have as many friends. And so it becomes <laughs> more of a release thing uh, that you go and do. And I would go and play with generally people that weren't coaches most of the time. Right. You know, I would take the coaches out and have fun with them. But uh, and and now it's become uh, more a competitive thing. It's been a fun thing, and you know, where we live and at the club and and so forth, where you're trying to be competitive all the time. Uh, with the people you're playing against. And and that's the part of it, I think, that's it's so fun that for a $5 bet, you know, how much you grind over things. Yeah. I mean, but you're not betting, you know, Michael Jordan money on the course, right, Coach? No, but, but <laughs> we play a lot with, I play, uh, you know, once or twice a week with Kevin McHale and, you know, those NBA players, they like to, you know, that pot gets a little big when you're messing around with McHale. <laughs> Who in the sort of pro sports, college sports world is like a low-key, way better golfer than you'd expect? Well, you know, I got to play in the event at Tahoe uh, mm. a few times. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, I would say that uh, uh, Adam Thielen, the receiver from the oh, Vikings, yeah. uh, we played a couple practice rounds together, practice round there together. And I was really impressed with his game. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, that's probably one of the people that, uh, you know, was, was impressive that way. Um, you know, having the chance to, to, to be with him, uh, Patrick Peterson. Um, so, you know, I think some of these guys that, that obviously I was coaching against and, and got to know in a different, you know, fashion off the field, Carson Palmer is an excellent golfer. Um, you know, so that's been the fun of it, Aaron Rodgers and these guys. So you see them as competitive as they are on the football field. And yet when you get them, you know, on the golf course, they're just as competitive. Marshall Falk, uh, guys like that, that, uh, you know, uh, really uh, are, are very competitive, um, you know, on the golf course. You know, for as long as you were a head coach, did you find that having another sort of sport or activity like that to talk to with some of your players was a, was just a healthy kind of exercise. I mean, in terms of, you know, you're so focused on the game all the time and on the nature of your, of your profession, does it help just to kind of kick back and, and, and trade thoughts on, on putting and, and give you another opportunity to connect with them? Yeah. Way back, you know, when I started the NFL in Pittsburgh, that was one of the things we did in the outing in the spring was, uh, at the end of the off season was at one point was a, was a golf outing, a scramble golf outing. And, and I think as you go to the charity events and so forth, uh, uh, to see that. And I know that when you're in your NFL off season in, in April, May, June, uh, you know, those guys, after they leave workouts every day, a lot of them, uh, they go play 18 and they get that in hell. When I was in Pittsburgh in training camp, I remember the kickers used to go two or three times a week <laughs> play golf after practice, you know, the punter and the kicker. And, uh, you know, so, um, you know, those things, you know, Gary Anderson and Mark Royal at the time. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a part of it. I, I think, um, you know, uh, the more you, you watch and see, and, and because it's become so popular now on TV, uh, you know, I, I think the attraction of it is even growing more. You mentioned, you know, playing with, um, 
you know, playing in, in competitions. I mean, you, you had your, uh, your golf classic for so many years. Um, I'm from near the Cincinnati area. So, you know, well familiar with, 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 you know, that when you're in like that sort of like celebrity or, or tournament play, was there ever sort of a highlight moment for you where you were like, uh, you would say it's the pinnacle of, uh, of your sort of competitive golf career. And I say this saying like, I've seen clips of you all that are floating around the internet, you know, sinking like a 30 foot putt from the fringe. So I have to imagine you've had some pretty sharp, uh, uh, highlights, uh, in competitions. That was probably my highlight. I, <laughs> I mean, USA Although Today I wrote did, about it. Yeah, uh, but I, I actually, it's funny, but uh, this past summer here, you know, I had seven birdies in a round. And oh, wow. uh, I've never done that before. And so, you know, I think I shot 78, which I've never done before, 77 or 78. And uh, so that's the best round I ever had. And, uh, you know, so... Yeah, that's the the fun of it, you know, when I uh I didn't know what I was going to do and then, you know, I found out and I've said this many times, I didn't really like golf as much as I thought I was going to like it when I could play every day and I missed coaching. So I mm-hmm. came back here to, you know, I'm doing what I'm doing here at ASU and I'm back in that advisory role again, but uh because you you know, you, you got to fill up time. I find that when I don't have this I play golf in the morning and then I don't know what to do with myself the rest of the day. <laughs> are you a, are you a, a stickler for the rules or are you someone that kind of goes out and just, you know, wants to, wants to keep it loose? And I, I say this also to, to say, you know, being out in Arizona, can you ever really play winter rules when, when there's no winter? <laughs> well, you can, you can occasionally, yeah, you know, the course can get a little soft or whatever. And, uh, at times, but, but what we have here that in our Friday game that we have amongst five or six of us to play is we have what we call desert rules, where instead of, you know, going get yourself all cut up in the cactus and the rattlesnakes and the lizards and everything, you know, if you don't find your ball here in a period of time, we just move it to the grass, take our penalty and keep moving rather than going back to the tee or whatever. Uh, so. But then when we play in the competitions, it's funny because after you play desert rules for a while and you... <laughs> now you got to hit a, you know, you got to hit a, a provisional or you got to go back or take it back. And you're, it, it's funny, uh, the difference, uh, when we play in some of the other, uh, games there. So, uh, yeah, you know, but yeah, you know, I think we all, when you, you play golf, it's such a, I think an honorable sport and, and you want to learn the right way so that when you have an opportunity to play in, uh, the deep, the different events, you understand the rules and, and, uh, you know, uh, you're not going to catch yourself and disqualify yourself. <laughs> it never occurred to me to watch out for snakes in the out of bounds. Is that sort of an, a mental adjustment? I mean, I played a lot of courses in Ohio, uh, <laughs> and the worst you got to worry about is like a, a bad mosquito bite down by the creek. But like, did, yeah. w- were there any times when someone's like, "Hey, uh, hey, hey, Marvin, just let that one go, man. That's a really dangerous thing you're doing." Well, you know, uh, we'd be in South Carolina and Hilton Head and you worry about the alligators right. and, uh, here <laughs> in Arizona. You worry about when you hear like this, but you don't go into the, you know, you take a club when you go into the desert and, uh, uh, yeah, the rattlesnakes are, you know, when the weather is warm, the rattlesnakes are out. And so it's, it's, it's a real thing. What are some of the favorite courses that you've had an opportunity to play? Um, and is there anything that's left on your on your bucket list still? Well, I would love to go to, to you know, play overseas in Scotland and, and Ireland and so forth. You know, 
Um, but uh, I have, you know, uh, Mike Smith uh, treated me to a round at, at Augusta. And I got to tell you, that's probably, yeah. you know, obviously was my favorite. And it's like one of those things like jumping out of airplane. Once you do it, once you want to keep doing it. <laughs> What's the hardest? <laughs> what's the hardest hole at Augusta? Like uh, it, it, we always hear about Amen Corner and, and, and so on, but I think few people have the full appreciation of of seeing all eighteen. What what stood out to you? Um, I think eighteen is a hard hole. You know, it's much like uh, number eighteen at Mirfield in Columbus, where you're up the hill and dogleg and up the hill. Very similar. Um, you know, but when you're, if you're playing all the way back, like the pros and you're hitting those balls out of those shoots and you, you gotta be able to, to move the ball to play Augusta, you know, I mean, that's really important, um, that you gotta be able to hit, you know, fades and so forth, uh, to, to conquer the dog legs and everything. But, you know, when we went there, I swear we were on the range and I hit the first ball I hit was perfect. And then I couldn't get a ball in the air for the next 10 minutes. <laughs> and the poor caddy was like, coach, just slow down. Just do, you know, he's standing behind me. He's thinking, I'm sure he's thinking, oh, this is going to be a long day. <laughs> and I can't, I was so nervous on the first tee box. And then actually it went okay uh, after that. But it was, a, I tell people it was just a tremendous experience. It was everything you expected. And then we got to play golf. And uh, so yeah. that's how much fun it was. The caddies, I, I I know people who've played Augusta who talk about, you know, they'll say, hey, hand me a, because um, they make you play with the caddies when, when you're down there. And they'll say, hey, I'll take this club. And sometimes you just have that caddy moment where they'd be like, now I've watched you play five holes. You're, that, you're not going to get over that creek with this club. Did you, did you get any sort of expertise from them that maybe translated to your own game, you know, once you left? I think one of the best experiences, and I and I played Pebble Beach last year for the first time, three rounds there, and I had a tremendous caddy, and uh, and I just think having the opportunity to play with a great caddy uh, just helps you on uh, where to try to hit the ball, and then obviously once you get to the green, uh, what to do. So uh, I, I that to me it it just enhances the golf experience so much. You know whether you're playing TPC here in Scottsdale with a great caddy or anywhere I've ever done old Colliers is just a fabulous course, uh, down in, uh, uh, Naples, uh, Naples, Florida, uh, you know, and it's just fabulous. I mean, I had a caddy, uh, for who, who was from, uh, uh, uh great from Britain and, uh, and he was English and, you know, he's, he, he's used to caddying at St. Andrews and everything. And now he's walking around, he's walking around with me and, and it's just, <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, we, we it's been fun. You know, uh, I have to say that, you know, going to uh, these places and having an opportunity to see the beauty of them. And, and the, the more you play, I think the more you appreciate the beauty of courses. Last question on, on golf here. Who uh, who's your dream? Your dream foursome? Like, who do you want to want to hit the course with? Uh, um, you know, whether they're professional golfers, other people of just public life. Like, who who, who would you put in your in your uh, in your crew? Well, one of my favorite guys to play golf with is Darius Rucker. Mm. And, uh, I just enjoy, you know, hanging out and spending the day with Darius and playing golf with him. Um, and I would say President Obama. Yeah. And and I would say, you know, probably that's the toss up. You know, I, I got to, you know, whether you go with uh, 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 Tiger Woods or Colin Powell, um, <laughs> you know, 
it's uh you know i would have a toss up there uh, you might have to those, go go that Ill- illegal fivesome on that one you know just put someone some, in the yeah, cart we'd have to play a <laughs> we'd have to play a wolf game that day or something like that well hey in um, uh in wrapping up, Coach, um, you know, I I grew up in the southwestern Ohio area. My mom still lives there. The one every time your name comes up, the one thing my mom always says is, you know, Marvin Lewis just did so much for the community of Cincinnati. So as we close, let us ask you, you know, I, I know you you've moved on to other things, including the work you're doing um, at Arizona State. But can you talk a little bit about the connection that you have for as long as you spent time in Cincinnati and and how much you became part of that community? How much do people that are from there or spent time there still sort of consider you one of their own maybe for, you know, for life? Well, I, I hope so. I mean, I was very blessed to be there and, and be a part of the, the community and uh, with the Brown family and the Bengals and, and so forth. And uh, with the partnership and the support of many of the uh, corporate people and CEOs of the tri-state area there in Cincinnati, greater Cincinnati area, we were able to do great things with the with the Marvin Lewis Community Fund and uh, putting well over a hundred, you know, young people mm-hmm. through college and, and so forth, as well as all the support of the other local nonprofits, as well as the Learning in School program in the Cincinnati Public Schools, where we rewarded, you know, the athlete, the uh, excuse me, the A honor roll. And so we were just very fortunate, but you, I couldn't do it alone. I did it with a great staff and, and with the support of the community. Um, as far as them coming out and being, whether it be volunteers or financial support or just mentorship, being on our board and so forth. So uh, it, it was just tremendous. It's a very philanthropic place there in Cincinnati, Ohio. And, uh, and I was just blessed to be a part of it for a while. Well, Coach, thank you so much for making time. You know, we're, we're, we're fans of yours for life. We'll be following your career wherever it goes. And, and let's hope you get that, that, uh, that five-some uh, at Pebble <laughs> Beach or, or TPC or wherever soon, okay? Yes, sure. Thank you very much, Brad. My pleasure. And we are back in the sports world. Athletes, coaches, media, they all do interesting things that show off their passion, their personalities, and then we, the fans, tell them, oh, come on, you're being a locker room distraction. Be more boring. Get back to watching game film. That is ridiculous. We started this show completely in the face of all that. On every episode, we end by trying to celebrate distractions by telling you what's been distracting us. And and this week, as we go out with one final distraction, Gareth, we decided to to say farewell via mixtapes. We've had fun with the you know, when we had Huey Lewis on. We did the '80s mix. We did the '90s mix. Uh, you know, like you said, this was better than 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 talking about the stand. <laughs> or the regulators. <laughs> um, and and we just wanted to kind of break down, you know, side one, side two. How would you kind of say goodbye via mixtape? And th- I had a lot of fun with this, Gareth. It was harder than I thought. And it, uh, honestly, my approach to this is a little all over the place. It was less about, you know, there are some songs that are kind of like literal goodbye songs, but it was more mm-hmm. about like capturing the mood of, change or transition to me you know what i mean i went with an exact opposite approach which was i have been listening to a lot i watched a lot of the netflix um hip-hop history documentary that came out recently and i had been feeling some regret that i hadn't included enough rap music in our previous mixes so mine is 
all rap music, mostly from the 90s. Okay, that is great because mine is not. <laughs> so Perfect. Bal- balancing us out. Why don't I go first? Um, How about you? Do you just want to do your side A? I'll do my side A. You do your side, or like yeah, I'll do that's, my side that's A, a that's and a then good you get the it. last word. Yeah. Okay. So I'll go first. Okay, go ahead. Okay. So my side A begins with um, When Will They Shoot, which is the first song on Ice Cube's The Predator, which I bought the day it came out uptown at Looney T-Birds. And it's just the like stalking, walking in my big black boots. One of the great first songs on an album immediately gets you pumped up and gets you moving. And if that won't get you going, the next song is another track one, side one, Things Done Changed by Notorious B.I.G. on his first album. Coming after that, I wanted to get a little big. So we went with Mr. Big himself by 8Ball and MJG to take it down to the south in Memphis. After that, I had to represent for my high school era, Gorillas in the Mist by the Lynch Mob. There's a lot of talk about white devils in this song. Uh, I was learning a lot back then. Um, There's that. After that, one of the greatest, hardest beats ever put out uh, from the last NWA album, Real Don't Die. Um, Tremendous, tremendous song that will get you pumped up. And then we close out side one with a little uh, shout out, RIP, ODB, and where I currently live. Side one ends with Brooklyn Zoo. That's a fascinating first uh, first side, my friend. Let me let me okay. say, how are you buying these? Because I remember you as the kid who always had these tapes in middle school. How are you mm. buying them with like the Tipper Gore stickers and stuff? Uh, Looney Tebers didn't really care that much, and I also probably looked old enough that they thought I might have been in college. I mean, I don't think they didn't they... rent me next door, like in the in the video store that was connected internally. They didn't rent me Rated R movies. I would I well I wasn't trying on movies, but on music I never had any problem. Like <laughs> I would just walk in, act like I own the place, uh, walk up there, cash in hand, and walk out with a long box CD, man. That was it. So long box CD. Ah oh, yeah. man, that is great. What what was your first my first C D I ever bought? I bought two CDs when I first got a CD player. They were this is very dated. Boys to Men's Cooley High Harmony. Of course. And Jesus Jones Doubt. <laughs> so. Jesus Jones, yeah. I heard an NXS song on the radio the other day, and I was like, NXS is one of those 80s bands that sounds like the 80s, but in a way that has aged like a fine wine. And Jesus Jones is, like is the, awesome. Jesus Jones is the opposite of that. <laughs> Jesus Jones is the opposite of that. You are 100% correct. NXS has aged perfectly, and it's like... Somebody brought this up. It was a rapper. I'll give him credit. Latif. He was in a, a group called Latirix out of the Bay Area. He had a tweet about this about a year ago, and I've been riding hard on it ever since. He's like, because of the way that Michael Hutchins died, NXS kind of got buried, and I think people were kind of embarrassed by them and the way they ended. But he's like, they should get all the same love that like Joy Division and New Order and like all of those sort of like electro pop bands that came out around that era got 
and they just never got it because of how they ended. And in excess, they own, dude. Like, spend a weekend with their catalog, and you'll put together your own in excess greatest hits, and you will never regret it. And I have seen, like, you know, I've, I've DJed and been out to a lot of DJ nights, and I have seen some of, like, the best DJs, like, you know, like, scratching dance floor filler follow like travel around the world DJing they will drop I need you tonight in the middle of any set and nobody can like the the dance floor just keeps right on going man nobody's like oh what's this you know like yeah. need you tonight comes on people it, it's sexy that is sexy music so <laughs> all right that's my side a. okay my side a my first song Again, lots of songs about transition. Mm -hmm. I'm going to read you the lyric. Don't say the name of it till I uh, till I read you the lyric, but then I'll, I'll see if you know what it is. Uh, I'm going home. I'm tired as hell. I'm not the cat I used to be. I got a kid. I'm 33. Baby, get in the road. Come on now. In the middle I, of I, the road. I got nothing, man. What is that? Middle of the road by the Pretenders. Huh. You Great know band, though, dude. Another oh. like, another. That was one too that Amy and I had a moment. Honestly, we were driving to cancer treatment one day, and one of their songs came on, like the the algorithm, and I was like, I'm just going straight to the best of the Pretenders, and hit and play, and we were happy the whole drive. So great pick. The middle of the road is trying to find me. I'm standing in the middle of my life with my plans behind me. Ah, Oof. I love that. I Oof. love that. All right, number two, a literal goodbye song. What I believe might be in the top five greatest vocal tracks ever laid down. Mm -hmm. Never can say goodbye by the Jackson Five. Uh, you'll hear no disagreement. Young from me. Michael Jackson sounds like an adult singing in a kid's voice in the strangest coolest way possible the emotion the range he gets in that voice is unbelievable and he's like seven years old or whatever he is third is a dude. Song. i mean listen i still wish he wasn't so so canceled because like with the ncaa tournament going on all in indiana could you imagine if the whole theme song this year had been we're going back to indiana you know like it would have just been so much fun oh well that didn't happen yeah, David Borey, who came on this podcast, uh, voice of Comedy Central, comedian. He's on the All Fantasy uh, Everything pod. He has a great line about, like, you know, the canceling of celebs where he talks about, he's like, hey, look, the black community, we took some, you know, we, we got rid of Bill Cosby, Michael Jackson. He's like, white people, you got to take some bigger names off the board. Like, you're, you weren't raising your kids to, like, Harvey Weinstein's business philosophies. <laughs> like, right, right, right. you got some work to do to catch up, okay? Yeah. Um, all right, third, Ordinary World by Duran Duran. You know, Outstanding I won't song. cry for yesterday. I love it. Four, I needed like a rousing hip hop anthem. Mm -hmm. Go and live your life, T.I. and Rihanna. You know? Love it. You think about like, hey. yeah, we're, we're moving on. Like, you know, just live your life, man. Mm -hmm. Five. Brad, to I thought we had talked about this. And I thought you were going all Mazzy Star, and I took you seriously. So that's why I tried to stay thematic with rap music. So these are 
very different in their approaches. <laughs> oh, it's about to get way more different. Shout out to Brad Gould. Uh, Brad and Brad lived together in Chicago, met at Bradley University. Brads. Yeah, we uh, met at Bradley University. People made fun of us all the time we were out. We used to dominate the jukebox with like cheesy standards at any bar we went to. And this one was always in our playlist. Roll with the changes, Ario Speedwagon. <laughs> I don't even know if I know that song. Yeah, uh, Google it. It's amazing. Okay. At six, a song that I used to sing in the communal showers at my fraternity house uh, growing up. And uh, my friend Mike Blumberg would sing it with me. Dude, there was a dude across the hall who had, his, his door had been broken down and he just kind of had a mattress propped up to, to block it. He would come out and complain. He's like, you guys are being so loud. It's so early. And we're like, Bro, just like shut your mattress. Build the door. <laughs> just like just shut your mattress, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Wind of Change by the Scorps. Uh, <laughs> did you listen to the podcast about that? I tried. You know what I would say about that? I mean, look, congrats to them. It was very well produced. But one of those things mm-hmm. where I'm, I was, I was just thinking to myself, could this have been an episode instead of a ten episode? Yeah, you know, ten hour thing. I don't know. I just kind of ran out of gas on it, you know. So I I've been watching a lot of movies this year over like reading books or anything else, and I've been cataloging all the movies I watch. Not everything. Like Steven Soderbergh famously writes down everything he consumes, like books, movies, albums, like everything. He just writes it all down. I've only been writing down the movies. I haven't even been writing down shows or things like that. But in an interview, somebody said, "Do you find?" there's a lot of bloat with this sort of content. And he said, it does not bother me on shows. I think shows have actually, you know, you can find a way to tell a show over 10 hours and it actually works. He's like, documentaries, I think, are very guilty of this. And between what you, you just said about this pod and me trying to watch McMillions last year, dude, two hours is plenty. Right. Two hours is plenty on this. And we've already started. Maybe we'll have to come out of retirement to discuss the nine-hour Tom brady that's going to come out. So, I mean, sure. Ugh. And look, my hidden track on side one, G-Love and Special Sauce, I-76, a.k.a. the 76ers song. If only for this reason, AKA, yes, yes. <laughs> if only for this reason. That song ends by them shouting out their favorite sixes of all time. And it's like, Jerry Stackhouse. <laughs> Jerry Stackhouse, eternal sixer. It's a great lesson for a farewell mix. Never shout out dudes on their rookie NBA contracts. <laughs> your all-time team. They are going to move on. Uh, right. All right. So your, your back half, hit me with it, Garrett. Back half, we begin with what I think got me back into rap music of late. UGK, Underground Kings out of Texas, um, front, back, and side to side. That's the song that I've been playing enough recently that Amy's like, haven't we heard this a couple times today? And it's like, oh, yeah, you noticed that. Okay, I'll I'll move on. You're Um, like, I have cancer like factories in my guts. Can you let me list? Let me, let me double up on this rap song for a little bit. Right. Exactly. Uh, (laughs) Followed by another Houston banger. Maybe my favorite rap song of all time. My mind's playing tricks on me by the ghetto boys. 
Um, we had Rob Har- Harvilla on a couple weeks ago, and he has an episode about that song you should check out. I will go check it out. In 60 I, Songs I, That Explain the 90s. I will, I'm excited about that one, because I honestly think... I do think there's an argument to be made. It's a, maybe a top 10 rap song of all time, if for no other reason than what it did geographically to expand the map. Because that was a hit. Like, that song was on the radio. Headline, I can't sleep. I toss and turn candlesticks in the dark. Visions and those guys were out of Houston. Like, that's no small thing. That, that song was talking that about the complexities of mental health and de- paranoid delusions yeah. in a rap song at the same time that, like, Dre was talking about partying. Like, it's, yeah, a, it's, yeah, a, like, it's an artistic achievement. Exactly. You know, like, paranoia, hallucinations, the whole nine. So, followed that up with. You need to look. I think they get overlooked a lot, and because I did try to keep a lot of this rap to the '90s for this reason, because of because uh, of our era. Uh, followed that up with Cypress Hill's "Hand on the Pump." I mean, I know <laughs> a lot. Oh, Cypress Hill is incredible, and I do know a lot about a life lived with a hand on the shotgun pump. Man, that's that's my world. <laughs> um, then some very early 90s uh, outcasts that would have overlapped with when we were in high school, Play as Ball. Then the first Wu-Tang track of all time, where, as they put it in the documentary on Netflix, they're like, dude, there are nine dudes on this track. There is no chorus. It's Protect Your Neck. It was their first. Like, could you imagine coming out of the box like that? Like, yo, we're the Wu-Tang Clan. We're from Staten Island. We smoke a lot of, of crystal meth lace weed and watch a lot of kung fu flicks. This is our first song. It's called Protect Your Neck. It's got nine verses and no choruses. Who's in? And everybody was like, yeah, you're, <laughs> you're crazy. This is never going to happen. And it turns out they took over the world. Then I wanted to get, just before we close, I wanted to get really celebratory uh, with one of the great, great, just like beats, happy, upbeat beats of all time, which is Camp Lowe's, Lucini, this is it, what? Lucini pouring from the sky, let's get rich, what? Like champagne and popping bottles and having a good time. But then the closer, we go back to UGK for one more. Uh, one day, one day you're here, babe, and the next you're gone. It's all looking at looking back on the life you've led, the people you've known, You've loved, you've lost the things you've tried, the things that have worked, the things that have haven't worked. But you know, take it one day at a time, and that's how we're going to make it through. So that's Beautiful. how I'm living life going forward. I love it, man. There you go. No, actually, Brad, I wanted to say, like, I wanted to weasel out on this one so badly, but I actually ended up making it thematic and putting work into it and trying to end on both an upbeat and then an introspective note. So <laughs> put, put one fish live show from your tape as your hidden track. Uh, on the let me, uh, my, I'll, I'll hide like the tires are the things on the car that make contact with the road. <laughs> Just so, yeah. So, all right. My side too. I'm starting it with an upbeat song. Violent Femmes, Gone Daddy Gone. Great As song. a banger xylophone solo. <laughs> or wood blah. I don't even know what it is. Wood xylophone. Marimba or yeah, yeah. yeah. Vibraphone. All right. My next song is a this is a deep cut 
that I'm, I think you're going to recognize. It's a song called Let Go by a group, a band, artist, I don't even know. I think pronounced Fro-Fro, Frau-Frau. Frau-Frau, yeah. Let, uh, let, it was from the Garden State soundtrack, Okay, I it was from the Garden State trailer. The original oh. teaser, that when you, it was really beautifully done with great music, and you look at it and, and you everyone's go, excited for the Zach movie. Zach going to change Hollywood. Yeah. He did not. But that song aged incredibly well, and I bought the soundtrack specifically for that song. In fact, I might have bought that group's CD and then, you know, never listened to anything else on it. <laughs> the next one is an all-time sing with a group song if you're kind of toasty with a couple you know a couple of suds in, in your belly don't look back in anger oasis oh oh no argument here i don't even know the name yeah, of the yeah, song yeah. you just gotta hit the note bro yep yep next is okay wait hold on because it's come up now here's a debate a couple friends and i've had who who is the bigger band, Oasis or NXS? Oh my God, Oasis was like the biggest band in the world for a while. <sighs> NXS was huge, though. I know. You, and it, Oasis like, was they like were earlier. Out. Oasis was like doing concerts that looked like Live Aid by themselves. You know, in, okay. in London. You're, you're right. Okay. 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 NXS right, was right. never the biggest band of their era. U2 was always bigger than NXS. And you could probably argue that R.E.M. was bigger than them Cer- as well. Yeah, certainly in America there was a time when, I mean, NXS was, the, I don't know, they were like the 90s Sonics, you know? They, everyone remembers them, but they were never like de- a defining act of the era. All right, all right. Okay. Okay, Last that was our last pointless aside essay for the, uh, for the podcast. Like that one, go on. <laughs> Next is a selfish cut. Just a beautiful song about, you know, looking back from the, I don't know if it was a hit, but I remember it a lot movie with honors. I'll remember by Madonna. (laughs) Do you remember that movie? I do not know. No. The Joe Pesci. Oh, you didn't have cable, so you never saw the video. It's like the video is like the Brendan Fraser, Joe Pesci, homeless guy at Harvard movie. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's Madonna with a great look, like, like black hair cut super short or a wig or whatever that was. Yep, um, yep. Love that song. And then... By the way, I have to give a shout-out because it's early April. Like, HBO Max right now is mainlining 13, 14-year-old Gareth right into... Like, they added on April 1st, Last Boy Scout and Sneakers and House Party. Sneakers and I'm just sort of like... and House Party, great. Last Boy Scout is trash. Last Boy Scout is some of my most <laughs> beloved trash ever. So, um, yeah, the sneakers though, man, fantastic. All time. Great movie. Okay. Go on. Second to last track. Don't you forget about me? Simple minds. Oof, perfect. I got to get like a, like a, it's, it's upbeat. It's anthemic, you know? And then I lead to my final track on this side, um, on the album, walk it back by REM. It's on their final record. It's a beautiful song. That's basically like, all about what do you want me to say like it's over but i got no regrets it's just time to move on yep. man yeah and then another hidden track that kind of fades in this one's for you gareth thank you boys by james addiction ah perfect thank you perfect. boys boys little like 
it almost feels like it has like a World War II swing going on to it, you know? Uh, but yeah, so no Mazzy Star major list. No Mazzy Star. Fade into you is fine. I don't I have like. Did you have stuff that almost made or, or different things you would have no, put on I, again? Well, like I, I, I didn't know how I wanted to do it, and we, had, I felt like we had done so many like comprehensive mixes, like all the '90s or all this or all that, and so I liked the idea of just sort of like I've been listening to a lot of rap music. I want to stick with this because that was a part of my life, and just go in that direction, and it, it became a lot more fun of an exercise to find those notes within a limited structure. Yeah. You know what I mean? No. And look, so. speaking of saying goodbye here, here we are, Gareth. Um, let's end with, let's end with some shout outs. I have a long list that I'm going to go through. How about that? Will you do okay. that for me? And then we'll, we'll yeah. just kind of give our final goodbye. First things first, I want to shout out coach, my forever coach, Marvin Lewis. And uh, oh, yeah. the people at Arizona State that made the interview happen, Mark Brand especially, um, it was it was great to go out with a an interview that was both you know personally meaningful, but also just kind of the way that we structured this show, which was sports talk with no sports talk, even though it was yep. golf. But we say we did say off off the bat, if you want to talk about a sport that's not your sport, we will we will go absolutely. That Shout out to. One Tree Forest Films and Chad Cooper, the immensely talented filmmaker who we partnered with uh, on our More Than Mean project. Um, shout out to Sarah Spain and Julie DeCaro for putting their daily struggles, struggles that have um, kept going, uh, putting it on putting it on wax, uh, even though they knew that doing so would, would only intensify the issues. Shout out to Charles Tillman and Greg Jennings for doing our other uh yep video big our other big video project of that era um uh players gonna parent which you know kind of advocated for athletes to be able to be at home and skip games for childbirth uh that you know they took a chance on us and um you know just it was a lot of fun and uh i'm really proud of that one as well um didn't i made some national news but not nowhere near the kind of impact that more than mean had but i still think it was a probably the happiest ever was on just not sports was us doing that project like because it was for all us four of us for were fun. doing it. Yeah, know? yeah. Um, shout out to our first guest, Chad Brown, talking snakes. Shay Serrano. It is incredibly difficult to book people to a show that does not exist, and they they took a flyer on us, and I appreciate that. Shout out to our third guest, Chris Cluey, who gave us our theme song for the low low cost a of hundred bucks. <laughs> yep. um, we still play it at the end of every episode. Uh, shout out to Leslie at Big Shoulders, who rented us a studio at a uh, reduced price for our first few tapings. Shout out to Chu and Nick and Abby, who helped us with editing over the years. Nick especially teaching teaching me editing after uh, after Joe Reed had, uh-huh. um, uh, had, had departed. Uh, shout out to our uh, first Twitter follower, Louis DeCosmo, who I promised huh. to have uh, Jalen Rose in the show, and I just I got close a couple times, but couldn't figure out the timing and never quite made it happen. Sorry, Lewis. Shout out to our second Twitter follower ever, Stefan Marbury. Uh, good luck, <laughs> good luck, Starberry. Also tried to get him on the show several times, never uh, got back to me. Shout out to Jamel Hill, who did a panel with and bought me all the alcohol one night at the ESPNW Summit. Tremendous hang, really enjoy her work. Shout out to the only congressman and politician ever to come on. 
uh, U.S. Congressman Sean Caston, and he did get reelected. Shout out Michael Shore, Gareth, arguably yeah. your, your favorite interview that we did together uh, talking about the power broker. And shout out to Emma Bachelary, who we also talked about the power broker with, and I believe she's going to finish it. I believe you, Emma. <laughs> I believe in you. <laughs> Michael Shore, and if I may jump in with a shout-out, Judy Batista, my two favorite interviews. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, shout-out to Boomer, uh, Boomer Esiason, who we met at the uh, Clio Sports uh, that year, uh, The same, kind of the same circle that or cycle that we mm-hmm. did um, uh, around the Peabody. Shout-out to everybody at the Peabody's, Eddie Garrett uh, from their jury pool, everybody from the organization. That was awesome. Shout out to Vern Lundquist, the person who I think had the most fun being interviewed by us on this podcast. I would agree with that. <laughs> um, shout out to all of our multiple appearances guests, everyone from Becky Sauerbrunn to Chuck Klosterman. I mentioned Shea Serrano. Um, you know, anyone who ever took a second call from us, I've always appreciated. Shout out to Carrie Wood, who came on the show and then also gave Adam and I um, uh, kind of celebrity level tickets to his uh bartending event in Chicago. That was a lot of fun. Shout out to Israel Adonage, who we met in the green room uh, and and got on the show from there. Uh, shout out to Molly Knight, now at The Athletic, who we had on the show and found out that she had bought my wife and I champagne on her honeymoon 10 years earlier, which was huh. kind of a fun moment. Shout out to the Chicago Red Stars for giving us a sweet once uh, as, as social influencers in the Chicago space. Jokes oh, on you, Red Stars. We are not. But we took the suite, and uh, shout-out to Sarah Spain, who now is a co-owner of that team. Uh, we will be back there. I took my daughter to that experience. She fell in love with the team. We are going to go back uh, time and time again. Shout-out to Brad Z, <laughs> Sarah's husband. I believe you will become an actual billionaire, not just an internet billionaire at one point. And I always <laughs> appreciated um, uh, you listening to the show. Shout-out to Howard Beck. I miss REM, too. <laughs> Arguably my favorite interview. <laughs> Uh, shout out to Chris Berman, the, the the interviewee I chased the longest to come on the show, who actually I ended up getting on the show. Uh, he came on to talk about Huey Lewis, and shout out Huey Lewis, who came on and talked about Chris Berman. Shout out to <laughs> Alexi Lawless, never stop making music, my friend. I will always be... Uh, she embodies uh, the spirit of Just Not Sports almost more than anyone else. I own... All of his albums in digital, like his songs come up in my playlist all the time. Gemini is a banger. Um, shout out to every guest who's ever had a podcast who came on this podcast. We love podcasts. We support podcasts. We, we made a, a, a real effort to do it, uh, you know, to, to support podcasts on this show. Uh, shout out to, you know, Sean Livingston, Michelle Carter, Diamond DeShields, LaChina Robinson, and all the, uh, you know, black athletes, athletes of color, um, all the people who kind of stretched our own worldview and opened our eyes to different experiences, um, you know, Katie Barnes, like just people who came on the show and I think allowed us to learn from them. Uh, I've always really appreciated that. Shout out to Kelly, my wife, her teammates, the coaches, all the people who helped us mm. on um, our, our Denison Kenyon narrative podcast, which honestly was kind of the beginning of the end of the show. I almost felt like, that was like the last big thing I really wanted to accomplish with Just Not Sports is do a show like that. Um, and and I appreciate them kind of turning over the keys to their story to to make that happen. I, I just got to really shout out as heavy as someone can shout out 
uh, Joe and Adam, who were part of the show for a long time with us, two and a half years. I mean, I can't believe we've gone on <laughs> just as long um, right. and, and you know, tr- trudged on in a, in a different form, but it doesn't diminish their contributions to this platform and the time that we spent with them. It took it took a village. It took yeah, a village. A- absolutely. And uh, I know I've talked a lot, Gareth. I'll get to you in a second. Uh, shout out to Charlie and Violet. I, I think my daughters, I think a lot about, you know, when my dad died, you know, he had left our house when I was in middle school and, you know, he lived in a different, you know, he lived in Alabama. I remember when he died, just looking back and being like, wow, there were like years I didn't see my dad. And I just Mm -hmm. remember feeling like I didn't know him. And I think a big part of the reason I kept doing this show as long as I did uh, was to sort of just, again, have something they could go back and look to after I'm gone and be like, well, here's this weird time capsule of our dad during the first few years of our existence, which, uh, which again, I appreciate you for, for, offering up your own experiences there too. At some point I'll revisit this show and go back and listen to some of it. And it'll be interesting to hear what was on our mind, how we were processing, you know, going from dudes who felt like overgrown adolescents to, you know, fathers. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And, and I just think I appreciate my, you know, my girls, I love them with all my heart. And I hope that if they ever find these recordings um, and take any time to listen to them, uh, I hope they know that they were such a motivational force in us continuing to do them, not just for our own enjoyment, but for to process, to have a forum where we could process how to be better husbands and fathers and people. Yeah, well put. You got any shout outs, Gareth? <laughs> um, you know, I want to thank, similarly, my wife, my kids, and, you know, like putting up with Saturdays when I would have to go dip out or Sundays or Tuesdays or whatever, dip out and record. I never had to dip out and edit. That was, that felt to you. And, um, that's a whole nother thing, but I wanted to thank them. And mostly Brad, I wanted to thank you for this, that you pushed this along, you pushed this boulder up the hill and you, you kept it going. You started it and stopped it. And, and now that it's coming to an end, I think we'll have a beautiful document of this time in our lives, if nothing else, but also something that was able to provide hundreds of hours, something approaching entertainment to a lot of people and insight and fun. And I'm really glad we did it. And I'm glad you had the vision on how to get it done and to make it something that we could be so open with. And I don't think we ever pictured that we would get into advocacy advocacy or cancer or anything like that but i think that's what a good podcast should do or good anything should do is just follow where it goes and so great work um yeah you too man you're the shout out we 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 talked about this idea in 2014 put it on a powerpoint you know initially pitched it as a show as like to other people Decided to do it as a podcast, kept doing it, you know, remade it a couple times in weird ways, but it always kind of kept the core of what it wanted to do, which was just give a forum to people to talk. And and look, shout yeah. out to anybody, the beautiful and unique Sparkle Ponies, anybody yep. who's ever listened to this show from, you know, Colleen motherfucking <laughs> Watson to Trucker Johnny, yeah. uh, the people who who reached out over the uh, over the years, um, we never made any money on this show. 
we never monetize anything. We never, you know, there were, there were ads oh, occasionally. We sure they were our friends' companies, <laughs> like that we would just do so, for, you know, there were a couple of show ads here and there. We just yeah. did it to learn to be creative, to have an outlet, and to kind of just again listen to people that we thought were interesting and 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 bring the green room out into the open. You know, the conversations we had about what people liked behind the scenes. Let's just, you know, that could be a podcast. I'm just glad we sat down and made it. I'm ready for it to go away. I'm ready to do something different. Um, but I'm I'm really grateful we got to do it this long. And Gareth, it's. It gave us a nice framework to keep talking, which I, yeah. I think as a time when you, you start to have kids and you work endless hours, you just can become isolated and lonely from like adult friendships. And so this was always kind of a nice way to do that. I think, too, you just said something as well that I hope anyone who's listened this far, if you have an idea and somebody you want to do something like this with, just go do it. And you might make it four episodes. You might make it up uh, 200, but just like give it a shot. The The process can be really beautiful. So don't hesitate. I love you, man. Love We're you too. Like I said, rooting for you as much as I'm rooting for Marvin, uh, you know, in your, in your continued, you know, treatments and we'll, you and I will be carrying on this conversation and, you know, just without, you know, record being pushed, um, uh, you know, in our, in our free time. And, and, and look, I can't end the show without shouting out just a few other special people. I want to give a shout out to my boy Uzi, <laughs> former, former guest Def Jeff, who we love, Little Swanee, Meech, Ron Mack, and my other cousin Ron. And you know what? Booty rappers. Stay booty. Stay booty. <laughs> I know I got skills, man. I know I got skills, man. I'd like to give a shout out to my boy Uzi, Jeff, Jeff, Little Swanee, Meech, Ron Mack, and my other cousin Ron. This is another buckshot from the Arsenal. And you know what? Booty rappers stay booty.